All right. <laughs> are, you, are you okay? Sorry, sadness fell over. <laughs> oh man, that's that that's really good. It, it works. That works on a, a lot of different levels. You want to dive right into it? Uh yeah, let's do it. Okay, I so this is going to jump right into follow up, and then next week we will have a discussion about follow up when you've listened to that other episode, um, so that the joke I was going to make makes sense. So, but yeah, there's something I mentioned earlier in the week where I uh, discovered that I have like a new insight, or I, I've finally been able to clarify why I somewhat irrationally but really strongly reject the idea of iPad as work machine, which has kind of been uh an evergreen or perennial topic i'm not sure which word works uh on this program yeah you you sent this to me in in the thing earlier this week and i've been sitting on pins and needles waiting to hear what this is so i don't think we've i don't think i've actually talked about this before or, or gotten to this conclusion before but yeah so like you can put aside all the other reasons why working on iOS is full of walls that you can't build around and why why it's it's such a problematic operating system for this type of stuff but I think my biggest problem with working on an iPad um is that ultimately you can't really trust your tools and by this I mean you can't trust that your work will be there when you get back Does this make sense? It it totally does. Yes. So, I mean, to, to to clarify for people who maybe haven't tried doing anything extensive or actually trying to get real work done on on an, an iPad or an iOS device, like if you're looking at like a Mac, other than like some catastrophic crash, like no matter what I'm doing on a Mac or how long it's been since I've used an app, as long as it's open, I can rely on the fact that when I go back to it, whatever I was working on is in the exact state i left it whereas on ios it isn't that way like on ios because it's meant to be um a really like mobile first device like memory and battery life management like necessitate that the operating system is like super aggressive in suspending and like killing tasks and pushing them out of memory but on the mac it's not that way and because they have gigantic batteries in them it's not really that much of an issue but like if you're doing something in like multiple applications like it just it just doesn't work on iOS and i think that's why it's so so frustrating to to work on it and why i will like have such conflicted feelings about people who are so adamant about trying to make a broken system work i know this kind of just gets us into um <laughs> recapping the previous so uh episode of upgrade which we kind of joke about doing a lot on this show but was it was it this last week's episode that kind of prompted this thought a little bit like because did they have like i don't know if it was mike or or jason and and again i love jason but he like it's one of them that is always so expounds upon their reluctance to have to take a mac anywhere i forgot which one it was yeah so it, it was jason because he was traveling or did travel to europe last week and he and he's been there for the last couple of episodes of upgrade for the ool conference mm-hmm. um and yeah he he has said on the show repeatedly including on this last episode that he really prefers just to travel with an ipad but i thought what was really good about this episode is he had a really kind of open 
an honest discussion about why he didn't just bring an iPad and he brought his 11-inch MacBook Air as well. And I, I think the line that stood out was he said something to the effect of when you're working in iOS, you can hit a wall, which I think is kind of like what you're getting at. And if you don't have, you know, a Mac OS device with you, if you hit that wall, you're you're kind of screwed. Whereas on Mac OS, there really there really is no wall. So so yes. So and this is also prompted by I'm not sure, I think you might have heard it um mentioned in passing on a couple of shows, but Mike Hurley and Marco Arment did a, a one off like just debate about the merits of like ios versus the mac which was released um relay fm has like a separate podcast called b-sides where they just have like random stuff that doesn't make other shows and that discussion was actually surprisingly illuminating or like because they don't actually resolve anything and and marco was he, he was on the mac side he was of course right um and for you like i think it's actually a good listen it's probably a little infuriating but um like he and i think jason also talks about this is that on the mac like on ios there are tons of walls but at least with the mac it's almost impossible not to be able to build around the walls just like by the nature of the way the like a that type of operating system works so even if there are problems with being able to do something using other extensions or applications or just the the way a um like a file centric modern operating system works like it it's almost impossible to not be able to do something whereas in ios it's by design that way a lot of the time yeah right exactly and and what i appreciated about this last episode of upgrade was you know they they both both mike and jason really didn't try to beat around the bush or kind of try to gloss over anything they were really you know open about the shortcomings of ios but I don't know. I think the one thing they failed to talk about, or at least what I what I think about this topic, is not only can you hit a wall in iOS, but even when you're not necessarily pushing up against a wall, everything is still just so much more inefficient. Exactly right. I mean, even just simple little things like copying and pasting in iOS is still kind of just so-so. Um, and you know, half, I feel like half the time I go to select something like the app that I'm in doesn't let me, or just doesn't seem to integrate well with the built-in copy and paste functionality. Um, you know, other, other basic functionality, just like typing. Like I, I still don't feel like I'm that, I'm that great with the keyboard on the iPad, particularly on the, on the 9.7 inch size. It's just, it's kind of just an awkward keyboard size. So just, you know, even just the the basics, again, you're not necessarily unable to do something, but you're just doing it basically at half speed. You're doing it with, it's like a three-legged race, except it's just your two legs and it's a one-legged race. <laughs> so like, I mean, let, let me give a concrete example, because I was just trying to think about this because I was working at a coffee shop earlier today. I'm just like thinking like, because I, I always look around and see like, what are people using? I saw a couple of people who had Microsoft Surfaces, and I was like, and they, oh, they no. were... Oh, no. No, no, but the thing is, they look happy. <laughs> um, and then it, the rest of it was just a, a sea of Macs. It, but nobody's using an iPad. There was one person using an iPad, but they were using it in the standard 
orientation, just using it to read, which is a, a totally acceptable use because I will I will be the first to agree there are certain tasks that iOS is totally better for consuming media and in reading books and that kind of stuff and maybe like just passive web browsing. It's it's great for and and if you want to push it a little bit, that's fine. But like let me give you an example. So like let's say you're inside of like Safari on the iPad and then you you flip over to Slack to post a link or something and then you you go into Spotify to to load up a playlist and play some music and then you go back to like let's say you go to Microsoft Word or some type of text editor. Like there's a non-zero chance that one of those apps by the time you go back to it will reload fully from scratch and not be the way you left it. And that's something that would be entirely unacceptable if that's how it was on OS 10. Like and and yet people will put up with it on iOS in like for the sake of just saying, well, it it's a little bit lighter and it's it's a it's a more functional way to work. So I'll I rarely do this on this particular topic, but I I will play devil's advocate. Mm-hmm. In, in sort of a narrow way, which is if we're talking specifically about traveling, which which was really what this last episode of Upgrade was focused on, there is certainly a benefit and a convenience to not having to bring a laptop. I mean, for us non-fancy um, TSA pre-check folk who still have to take their laptops out of their bags, you know, that's a hassle. But even if you have something like TSA PreCheck, you still need to bring your charger, which takes up space in your bag. Um, you know, it's it's frequently the case, like in a hotel, there's not a great area to work on your laptop, like the desk is super small or or whatever the case is. Just in general, if you can avoid bringing a laptop, I think that's preferred. And even, I, I think I mentioned this on the show, this last trip um, that I went on a couple of weeks ago. I I didn't bring a laptop and I I just brought my iPhone and iPad and there you know there, there was literally one thing for work that I needed to do that entire week one little simple task and you know I went out of my way to figure out how to do it on iOS and you know I I I think that was that was preferable to then having to drag my laptop around for an entire week for a, a little 15 minute task um but then you know i guess to sort of like take a slightly more negative angle on trying to play devil's advocate here to be your devil's devil advocate right i I think i think that's 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 what that's called you know i had i had to sort of extensively test that this was actually going to work on ios so i like I like on multiple occasions, you know, went through the process prior to leaving and thought, okay, you know, kind of confirmed like, okay, yes, this will in fact work because of of, literally because of this exact idea that we're talking about where if I were to hit a wall or if something just were to not work on iOS and and I didn't have a computer to fall back onto, I'd been screwed. Um, and so, you know, that, for this one little task, you know, it it worked, but you know, it, it was a good a good example as to you know, hitting that wall is kind of scary. So I have two counterpoints to this. So first, you're a seven plus person, so I just fail to see where, like, because when I when I think of people saying uh, iPad as work machine, 
the the point that you make about like a hotel room not being designed for work which i'm not sure i agree but like for the people who are saying that yes i'm going to use this as a as a work tool almost every single one has a keyboard attachment of some sort like a hardware uh, like a keyboard case or separate thing along with it which poses the exact same issues except now it's a device that doesn't work well on a lap in case you don't want to use a desk so for that particular use, I kind of say, um, I, I, don't, I don't buy it. And then the second part of it is, since you're a 7 plus person, I'm not really sure, like if you're going to say you don't want to travel with a laptop and you're going to do stuff on iOS, that all that could still be done on a phone and then you don't have to carry anything. Like it's, it's more cramped, but, but so is an iPad. So therefore you can, you can uh, drop down from three devices to one. Well, so actually, um, the work task that I needed to do, I actually did do on my phone because it was done just through an iOS app. So I, but that, I think, I think I purposefully sort of kept it vague like that when I was going through the example of just talking about iOS. Well, yeah. So then um, you don't even, yeah. So like, that's okay. Cause I think all of those compromises are totally fine on a phone. I think it's when you get to this, a device that's the size of a 10 inch iPad that you then carry a Bluetooth or smart connector keyboard accessory with you on, which borders on the exact same size of a Mac laptop. That's when I start wondering like why, why bother or why champion this product that's not ready for prime time for the use cases like that. Well, so the, yeah, the keyboard thing I definitely agree with, but I, I like traveling with an iPad mostly for media. I think on a plane, especially between the bigger screen and then having a smart cover that you can then prop up on the tray table, it's it's a way better video watching experience than just using your phone. So the, just for that alone, in most cases, I think it's worth traveling with an iPad. Yeah, I mean, like you, I will have I I will not argue the fact that it is a better media consumption device. Like if you're just there to watch Netflix or read. An, a Mac is overkill, and ergonomically, it's worse. Totally agree. Uh, it's just, yeah, the, the the work part is. Hmm. But yeah, you can't, can't trust it. That's 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 my uh, new new go to theory. No, I I think I think that's that's right. I think you hit the nail on the head. I think that's that's exactly it. Um, and I, I think the other you know the other aspects to it too that we keep coming back to, or at least I keep coming back to, sort of is two things. One is even though I sort of took the devil's advocate position and, and sort of argued why it is nice not to have to bring a laptop, it's also really not that big of a deal to bring a laptop. Like, I feel like a lot of times Jason just makes such a bigger deal about it. And, you know, I, I only have a MacBook Pro. He even has a MacBook Air, which like, and Mike has just a MacBook, what he calls MacBook Adorable. Um so especially bringing those types of laptops, I really, I just don't see that as being a huge deal. And then the second point is we, we just both have jobs. And I think we feel like an overwhelming majority of people have jobs where it's just not possible to do your work on iOS. And so it gets a little irksome sometimes to hear people, you know, to be blunt about it, like Jason and, and Mike, who have a very, very specific type of job that does allow them to largely work on iOS. But it's it's the, 
I think maybe we used this exact phrase when we've hinted at it before. It's like the 1% of the 1% that can actually pull that off. And so it's just, it's just, it gets sort of grating sometimes to hear them talk about it. And so, and lastly, I just want to clarify, like I, I'm not saying, and I want to, I don't want to be that guy, but like, I'm not saying anybody is wrong for what, for what they do, but particularly I think, I think a lot of times it will come off that like, there's like, oh, that the iPad is the next version of computing. And just because the, the smartphone is so popular that it's inevitable that tablets and in particular iOS on tablets will be the new way that everybody works and you need to get on board and, and OS 10 is going to become like a shell of its former self and, and it's going to be all touch optimized and all that kind of stuff. Like nobody's wrong for working the way they want to do whatever floats your boat. That's great. But just for me, like, I, I don't know, disingenuous is the wrong word, but I just, it doesn't, it doesn't ring true to me. And it's, and it's just, I don't know, but again, I'm, but I'm an old school crotchety person. But yeah, but again, for for me specifically, I just, I can't trust it. Um, I do have two quick final points though, or that maybe you can tell me if this, this makes sense. One of the reasons, like, I really don't like iOS for this reason is that like in your experience, does everything, like when you create a document or like a, a file on iOS, like how do you get to it? Uh, I mean, the, really the only time I do that is through Evernote. So I I just access the note through the Evernote app. Got it. I mean, for me and my experience, because like again, I'm an old school computer user, is that like it seems like iOS is extremely um, like whatever application made the file owns the file, whereas on OS 10 it or Windows for that matter, like an, a file can be anything to any app, and because the operating system or sorry the the file system is pretty uh, is completely hidden away on ios and most mobile operating systems like it's it's really difficult to work on a single file in multiple applications without using all these weird like um share sheet extension things well i I know that this has changed somewhat with icloud drive but i mean isn't that's not just an ios concept that's also just sort of an icloud concept right where you don't really think of files as files you think of them more as being just a, a part of an app exactly and and that is i maybe one of the, the biggest things where i i can't get on board with that yeah and i i think that though that is definitely more just because of like the type of people we are yeah and then lastly do you do you think touch uh touchscreen max are ever gonna happen like do, do you buy like, because I forget who mentioned. Because like, I'm not sure Apple has a stated position on this, but they're always like, "No, the the um, traditional like Mac operating system is like I think it's called like it's a perpendicular experience where you have a keyboard and mouse, and then you have a screen that you don't touch. Whereas iOS is all touch all the time, and it's not that experience. Except like all the iPad Pro marketing and stuff has them like almost permanently on a keyboard, where it's basically like having a touchscreen Mac, except it works worse. Well, just to um, leverage Jason Snell's thinking one more time, although I, I feel like I've had this thought sort of independent of him, but maybe it was just subconsciously through him by listening to him on podcasts. But <laughs> I, I think I think the idea that the iPad as we know it today is a lot closer to the future of computing than the Mac as we think about it today, like whatever a 
kind of I'm using air quotes like traditional computer is 10 years from now I I think it's going to look and work a lot more closely to something like the iPad than than it will be to like a MacBook Pro maybe but I would probably say the surface looks more like the future of computing than anything else Mm, no I don't think so I think it's you know it's this is this is it's a total it's a total cop out but and i've i've used it numerous times on this show which is you know the 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 way that we're going to use computers 10 years from now is is not something that we can even envision right now i mean in 2006 i never would have envisioned something like the ipad and yes tablets as a concept existed and they were at least from a you know, just sort of like a high level perspective, sort of similar to something like the iPad, but the way that the software works and the way that the hardware is evolved is not something that we really could have imagined. And and that's just how technology goes where, you know, <laughs> if we, if we already knew what next decade's main, th- you know, big thing was going to be, we wouldn't be doing our day jobs right now. We'd be off doing that. You know, that, that's the, that's the challenge and that's you know especially for apple that's the that's the bear case for apple which is you know they they need to come up with like the next iphone now i don't necessarily think that that's fair but it it just gets at the point that you know that you know as as you would say that next big thing you know is sort of it's it's an un, unknowable thing well but okay two things there so one, I don't think there is another iPhone. I think the the iPhone is kind of the end of the road, sort of. It's a it, it's it's the peak of America, <laughs> like Nathaniel Silver said. Yeah, uh huh. Yeah, I I enjoy when uh, Harry calls him Nathaniel. It's pretty good. Uh, yeah. Um, but no, like I think like the iPhone, like it'll get thinner. The battery life will get better. Like all that kind of stuff. Like I think the smartphone as it is is probably like the like the ultimate like computing device and and i think if you talk about like what is computing in the broad sense like that i think certainly that is probably that is where the majority of computing will be done but i guess what i'm saying is when you think of like getting work done like more than just like communicating with people and taking photos and consuming media like how does that look and i think that like when you say like we don't know what computing is going to look like 10 years from now i think like the counterfactual like that's actually probably not the right word. But if you look at a Mac in 2017 and you look at a Mac or like whatever computing device you'd wanted to have used in 2007, they don't look that different. They look almost no different. Well, I guess I'm in my hypothetical scenario here. I'm assuming that like the, the next big leap in computing happens sometime in the next 10 years, which what, I don't know, what, maybe it won't. I'm not sure it will. Like, cause just, well, if I so if I had to throw out a wild guess, when I think about possible, you know, interfaces and platforms of the future, I think a lot about things like augmented reality. I think there's no. a lot. Well, I mean, certain certain experiences, yes, but but again, I, like I, I just have my brain stuck in like I don't know work. I don't know. Well, but I, I don't know. I, I could I could see scenarios where an augmented reality environment could be really interesting, even for kind of day-to-day work. 
Maybe. I mean, sure. I'll, I'll give you but, that. But again, but... a lot, of, a lot of that is a lot of that's in execution, which goes back to my earlier point about something like the iPad, which is tablets existed, you know, long before the iPad. But it, it was the execution, you know, specifically like the execution around the software that sort of made us think about it in a, in a way that we hadn't previously thought about tablets. So I, you know, I don't know something like augmented reality. Maybe the demos you've seen today, sure, but somebody could nail the execution on something like that and, and have it do things that, you know, you didn't think was otherwise possible. Sure. But, but again, like to your tablet point, Apple made a different type of tablet though. Like what, what Microsoft and other people failed to do when they, when they started making pen based computers and that kind of stuff, like in, in like touchscreen computers a long time ago was that they were like, they were like early surfaces rather than iPads. Cause again, the iPad excelled at drastically different uses. They were, they, it, they excelled at media consumption based uses. I'm not saying that you can't do any creation or any of that kind of stuff on the iPad. I'm just saying it's, it's a less capable device for it. It's still totally possible, but it's less capable. And anyway, that's, sorry, that, that's, uh, that's enough of my, my slight moment of clarity. So <laughs> again, I'm sure we'll be, we'll be back talking about this in three months. Sure. Sorry, three episodes. Um, and then the last bit of follow-up, unless you have anything. Um, have you attempted to stream a Giants game this season using the new like approved methods? <laughs> I, I have not yet, no. So devout listeners will remember of when we originally talked about this and we were so excited for it. And the way I thought it would play out was just that since Comcast owns the regional broadcast rights or whatever for the san francisco giants that like it would just be another channel like csn would now be a channel that you could play in the xfinity stream app formerly called xfinity tv go and that's not the case at all apparently a week or two weeks ago um a comcast Sportsnet bay area was renamed nbc sports bay area and now you have to use no. The M- it's it's no. There's no no Bay Area. It's it's just it's just NBC California. It's NBC Sports California. I'm looking at the Giants game right now, and it, it's I don't know. In the corner it says NBC Sports Bay Area. I don't know because like there was always there with, used the, to be, with the with the Sharks games. Now it just says NBC Sports California, and there's but is that, no. But is that uh, Channel 720 or 721? This is super se- local. 721 so that's the thing because that like um oh really because yes there's always been two csn channels there's been right. there's 720 which is the giants and then there's 721 which is the a's and the sharks i the think shark, the a's the sharks and the kings and then i think 720 is the warriors and giants yes so no there's still two channels so so anyway they they rebranded that under the because remember like two years ago they randomly just shoved the the peacock into the csn logo for some reason <laughs> and then now i guess the transition's complete and everything is called nbc because that's that's what comcast is doing these days but no now if you want to stream it you have to download the x uh, not the xfinity the nbc sports app log in through your comcast c- credentials and then it's it's a way worse streaming experience and they layer in extra ads on top of everything else even though you're already paying for it so yeah so they very they being NBC Sports now very much has everything go through that that NBC Sports app. No matter whether you're watching, you know, regular old NBC or if you're watching NBC Sports Network, any of their 
anytime you're watching a sporting event on an NBC property, they're always going to refer you to the NBC Sports app. Uh, and I, I haven't used it specifically for Giants games, but I have for uh, Sharks games. And it it's, I don't know, at least with hockey, it's it's been fine. I mean, like, functionally, yes, it plays the video. But, like, when you when you load up a stream, does it make you watch two 15-second ads before you watch the video? Yeah, that sounds that sounds about right. Well, like that's the stuff I have a problem with. I mean, because I'm, I'm paying for the cable subscription, and I'm going to watch the ads that you're showing me during that. Like if if I get like a push alert that something important is happening in the game, and I switch over and disrupt whatever I'm doing because it's iOS, and I move over to the NBC Sports app, like I I don't want to have to wait 30 seconds and l- wait for two tiny commercials that are always the same commercials to buffer, so then I can watch what I wanted to watch. Does it also not support picture in picture? Well, I don't use my iPad. <laughs> oh, okay. Because it's on my phone, so therefore it takes over absolutely everything I'm doing. Yeah, got it. I don't know. That's that's my my crotchety old man complaint. But it's I don't know. Like because Xfinity TV stream, other than for the one month that didn't work for me because I thought I moved, um, like to the middle of nowhere. Like it, it generally <laughs> works really fine. Oh yeah, all all of the month of March, it thought all I was entitled to watch was C-SPAN, C-SPAN two and C-SPAN three and QVC. Well, I, I can't remember if we if we talked about this on air if this was just an off air conversation. But remember when I moved. And all of my online services were no longer working, including the Xfinity TV app, my HBO Go app, anything where I needed to use my Comcast credentials, it just was no longer working. And I, when I called in to try to troubleshoot, I was informed that, you know, none, none, of, none of these apps worked anymore and that I, I had to go, or I guess by none of these apps, I mean like HBO Go, ESPN, et cetera, like I had to go through um, the Xfinity app, even though that wasn't working either. Um, but then it ended up being all I had to do was change my password. And then that, I guess, reset whatever backend thing needed to be reset when I moved. And then all that stuff started working again. I remember the second half of that story. I don't remember it was because you moved, but I remember, yeah, you said like you could, you can no longer use the watch ESPN app and the Comcast that pulled. I'm like, nope. I, it, yeah. And then I, yeah, right. the second I got off the phone, I, I slacked you right away and was like, Hey, like. I'm pretty sure if like this were a thing, it would have been news because people would have probably been not super happy about that. Anyway. All right. Main topics. So do, do you do you want to talk about the United Airlines thing? <sighs> I, I feel I feel some type of social obligation to. Because I don't think I'm responding to this story in the same way that most other people are, but it seems to not be going away. So I'll let you tee it up or frame it. Well, so I, I, yeah, I mean, I feel like we don't feel like we could don't need to spend a lot of time recapping what happened because it's it's been everywhere. But um, there was a United flight. I forget where it was departing from. Not important. Where the flight was fully sold. Passengers had been in their seats so they actually boarded the plane and upon boarding they were informed that there were four united employees that needed to be on that flight to then transfer and work on a different flight and so they asked for four volunteers they didn't get enough volunteers and so i guess they used some type of random algorithm on their end to to pick additional people and one of the passengers who was picked uh, refused to leave the 
I guess it, it was the, it was Chicago, right? I think it was the Chicago um, police that got involved mm-hmm. and forcibly removed the passenger, causing him some pretty significant injuries. Um, and you know, this was all, of course, like everything is today, caught on video, and it, it's a it's a really disturbing, sad video. Um, and so I think, yeah, I think that the angle. Um, or the perspective, I guess is a better word that you know we could maybe go a little bit into here is not so much what happened because I mean it's just unobjectively awful and should have been handled exponentially better and there's there's just zero excuse for it and United's response to it was also garbage. But I know to me, I think the the really fascinating thing about it, and this this was the first thing I said to you was just how it stuck like there was some some tweet that i saw that alluded to the fact that it seems like it's the only story that stuck for a full news cycle that wasn't trump related in like seemingly forever and i I thought about that some and it really is true like there really hasn't been like a non a non-trump story that that stuck the way that this did And, and that got me that got me really thinking a lot about sort of just like what what stories stick and what don't and like and really the reason I thought about it was there was also a school shooting that this same day and that you know that barely got was was on anybody's radar and in in a lot of ways felt like was barely talked about at all um and so I you know I I really started thinking a lot about you know why why certain stories take off the way that that they do and I, I thought you had a you had a pretty smart response to that when i brought it up to you off there yeah i think it's all of these things where since we're in just like such visual times if there's video to go along with it that adds to the longevity of almost any story it's like none of this trump stuff like it even all like anytime there's been like a viable like trump russia connection rumor or somebody who's horrifically unqualified that he's added to some position of, of of consequence like none of it actually sticks but like this just seemed like it was like the perfect storm of like everybody hates airlines uh united seems to be one of the most hated uh for some reason uh well, apparently this is one of the reasons um and just the fact that like the, this this outrage combined with like with this like social justice component like just that's that's probably the wrong word but it's like where people like somebody feels legitimately wronged and it seems like just there's probably no alternative or or like part of the story where <laughs> the airline is justified and then when you see video alongside it like it just it's something that so many people can't ignore that it's so easy to share with other people and then the news media responds to viral content by focusing tons of attention on it because there's so it's just easy eyeballs which then perpetuates the social sh- sharing so it just it just keeps going and it's it's just it's it's crazy yeah the the video part is is i thought i thought when you said that i i just thought it was so spot on and i a big a big reason for that is just because we're so inundated with information that it it it's becoming harder and harder to even really know the right things to focus on. And I, I think you're right to bring up something like, you know, the the rumored Trump campaign Russia stuff, because 
and, and and Nate Silver has actually I think talked a little bit about this on the five thirty eight elections podcast or it's not the elections podcast anymore I think they just call it the five thirty eight political podcast whatever mm-hmm. um, where you really need the the smoking gun like you really need something tangible you know things like sources say or in, in a lot as sad as it is even just in a lot of ways something that's really just in text form just doesn't it just doesn't break through that overflow of information that we all experience but when you but when you have a story like this where there's something more tangible something more visual it it just has a completely different impact so like i feel like i to 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 round out that idea i feel like with like the the trump russia thing it feels like in a lot of ways that we literally just need like an audio recording right that gets out that's like hey russia leak the emails you know like it needs to be something that concrete and that auditory that you know would would need to happen for this thing to to really stick. Well, so let me let me bring a, a Trump related example into that, and and uh, the severity and like impact of these is not comparable at all. But if you think about the the Trump controversy stories that that have stuck, and you disregard kind of like the level of importance, like the really horrible like Access Hollywood thing that came out where it proved what an awful misogynist and just sh- shitty person and, and probable sex offender that he is came out like that stuck for a really, really long time because there was video and audio to accompany the story. Right. So many of the other things that were maybe, yeah, I, I don't even know, but like a lot of the other stories that don't have the visual component don't stick because just like, just speaking about the importance of something is much more challenging than showing. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah, but it's, it's, it's weird how things, things are spreading. And then you have, now you have Facebook trying to teach people how to identify fake news. Like, it's just, we're in, we're in weird times. Yeah. I I got that notification thing at Mm -hmm. the top of my Facebook app yesterday. Yeah. (laughs) I, I, Yeah. And then I, I kind of like wanted to snarkily tweet out or respond somehow to say like, or alternatively, Facebook, you could work harder on just making that stuff not appear in your app at all. Well, but how then about, they're, then they're that? The, but then they're suppressing legitimate news that certain people want to sh- that that <laughs> that racist relatives that want to want to share. <laughs> Again, you, you can't you can't eliminate the power to free speech for something people don't pay for, man. No, I, I yeah, I know it's I. I'm I'm making I'm making a a very complicated subject a little bit too simple. No, no, but like that's that's the thing. It's just it's all it's all so so weird and and has so much nuance that nobody wants to to pay attention to or grant the time of day or think is valid. So it's life's hard. Life life is hard. Yeah. Um. T- Let's see. Do you want to let's let's move on to happier uh, or at least more more interesting subjects? Do you want to talk about Apple and podcasting? Uh, yeah, you mean you mean the Apple Podcast Directory? Yeah. So I haven't actually looked into this because I'm 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 thinking of talking about something else. But specifically with the Apple renaming podcasts, Apple Podcasts, 
what does that actually mean? Is is that folding it into Apple Music? What like what's what's the deal? I don't I don't think it really means anything right now. I mean, it, it's literally just sort of a, a branding initiative, which brings with it things like a new badge that you can use on your podcast website to help promote and link to your podcast. But I think what I take to again bring up Jason Snell and and some other folks have been talking about today is is this the first sign that Apple's going to be moving away from the iTunes name or maybe put it a slightly different way is going to make it so that iTunes sort of returns to its roots and is really just about music although even that's sort of in question with Apple Music and 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 all that and, and Beats um and then you know move things like podcasts movies tv shows apps all that stuff out of itunes and give it some other umbrella brand or break them off into separate brands so you know it's not so much about the move today but more about is this a sign of other things to come yeah so let's let's get there so like this is something that occurred to me when i was thinking about this topic earlier today that i've i don't think i've ever said before but like Podcasts to me are like the single most valuable form of entertainment information that I have in terms of like raw amount of like hours spent consuming and like the overall enjoyment I get from them. So as somebody who does this like as a hobby and stuff, um, or sorry, this, this is my primary source of income. Um, <laughs> not doing too well. My, my tax form is very easy. Um, but like, it just, I get so much value from podcasts and that kind of stuff. Like you, you talk about your podcast deficit. I have sort of the same thing, but I, I end up listening to a, a lot. And rather than like being somebody who like goes back and listens to like, or watches old TV shows or something like that, or listens to their favorite music, a lot of times I will just, I'll go find another podcast episode to listen to. So I'm like, it's, it, how this whole thing works out is, is fairly important to me. And I've been really intrigued about like how hands off apple has been with podcasting and how since like big money and and like the whole podcasting ecosystem and like creation engine has changed over the past couple of years like how is this all going to shake out because like if we think about it like there's all these new like this american life is now expanding like they've done like their second or third original podcast like there's gimlet media and there's all those these companies that are their sole business is to create a uh, short or long form like podcast, like internet only media for people. And that's their entire business model. And those types of things, like when podcasting started, it was all mainly like hobbyists or people who were like their thing was to maybe do like radio on the internet, but not necessarily like there, it, like the production quality and that kind of stuff wasn't quite as involved and it wasn't anybody's like, primary livelihood and that seems to be changing yet apple who's probably the company most identified with podcasting and for enabling it and also like when you think of like where do i go subscribe to a podcast if somebody has an ios device it's generally going to be go to itunes or go to the podcast section of of like the apple store or whatever so like the fact that their opinion and stance on how they treat and index and do stuff with podcasts hasn't changed in the past decade. Like that's something I'm extremely curious about of how this, how this is going to work. Well, I, I mean, a lot of what you just described 
shows the strength of podcasts where I'll throw out another example, the the Crooked Media guys. So John Favreau and that team who had previously been a part of Bill Simmons's network and and split off and did their own thing. They're primarily, or I think at this point, basically exclusively um, just doing podcasts. And so they have this whole sort of, you know, they, they joke a little bit about this, but sort of this media empire built around just podcasts right now. And so things like that, I think, really illustrate that podcasts are getting stronger. Um, but but you do you do bring up an interesting point about what what is Apple's role in that because over the last ten eleven years podcasts have gotten to where they are where many different folks are are you know we joke about this being our primary income but a lot of people for a lot of people it actually is and and that's happened with Apple basically not doing anything in a lot of ways and. You know, I, so I, I, I guess my, you know, my desire at least now would be for Apple just to sort of continue to not do anything, you know, kind of taking the philosophy of if it's, if it's not broken, don't fix it. So, but so that's the thing. So yeah, that's, that's like precisely my point is that like over the past three years or probably like mostly in the past like year and a half or so, like the economics of podcasting and how seriously a lot of people take it and like the capital being invested in creating this type of media has shifted dramatically and, and it's now like serious business for a ton of people. Yet the way that Apple addresses it has almost not changed at all. Like for the enthusiasts and people like us, like sure there's options like Overcast and, and Pocket Cast and it looks like Marco has a pretty decent business with with overcast but still like the 800 pound gorilla is is the podcast app on ios just because it's it's the default and like i don't know how well like stitcher and some of the other um like commercial podcast ventures go but i think like really it's it's still almost all all apple's world Yet they haven't really changed much, and all these for-profit podcast creators, like they're demanding more data and like um, listen counts and stuff that they can sell to advertisers. And it's like a question of whether or not Apple's ever going to give into that kind of stuff, or if we get into like this weird situation, like where everybody has their own app. Like if you have to open up the the Gimlet app, or like you know, like the NBC Sports thing, where it can't it can't just be inside of of the app you're used to, it has to be this separate experience. And for me, I think that breaks podcasting. I don't think that's ever going to happen with Apple. If I think for for two reasons, one is I don't I don't I think I think Apple recognizes the importance of of podcasts, and I at least I'd want to believe anyway. Sort of shares this philosophy that let's let's not mess with something that's working. But even if even if you don't want to grant Apple that, and even if you think they might have some big sinister plan to kind of close off the the whole ecosystem and start monetizing it on their own, I, this the second point I would bring up is that's totally not worth their time. As as big as podcasts have gotten, and and as successful as a lot of people have been making a living through podcasts. The entire podcast ecosystem is, you know, 
just a even just calling it a blip on Apple's radar probably is giving it too much credit. It just from a financial perspective, it would not be worth Apple's time to try to to focus on this. If Apple were a significantly smaller company where this podcast revenue could actually maybe be a you know a semi meaningful part of the business, then sure, I, I think we would be rightly cons- you know have a have a right to be concerned about. Apple sort of overstepping their bounds there, but it's just really not worth their time. So, so I, I, I agree and disagree. Like I would say that Apple probably is on the side of probably never wanting to give up that type of data or either they don't want to bother or they, for the privacy of their users, wouldn't want to do that type of thing. But I do think that from kind of like a, a user experience and lock-in perspective that Apple might someday take a more active interest in podcasts because i think they probably want to stay ahead of what like this corporatization and like whatever will start breaking up the podcast like experience like again like if if some type of like let's say the whatever new podcast this american life does like to follow up these other two fairly successful programs they've done like if they say it's only available in this exclusive app and just everybody starts doing that, like that's kind of a crappy experience for users. And that is probably not something that Apple would really want. So I think maybe they do actually take a more active interest in this. I don't think they're going to allow the data collection stuff, but I think because of the way the market has changed related to podcasts, I think they might devote some level of attention to it. Like, I don't know. It just like, so something's probably going to change. Maybe, maybe. But I, the other kind of angle on this is to yet again bring up upgrade. You know, Mike. Mike specifically actually has talked a lot on that show about you know a lot of the reason why podcasting has grown is because advertisers have found ways to effectively advertise on podcasts without getting. A lot of data. So, the the main example of this is you know direct response advertising seems to work really well th- through podcasting, and I, I I get the impression that something like Relay FM basically exclusively runs on that type of advertising. So, I mean, there, there's always going to be a, I guess a faction that's going to want to go the more old school kind of like impression based sort of advertising model, but. I don't know, maybe that's a small enough voice in the room that'll be sort of drowned out by the people who are doing just fine with the way things are. But the thing is, like, and we we don't have any numbers on this, of course, but like, I just don't think the relays of the world even touch the type of thing that like um, a Gimlet Media or like a Bill Simmons or any of these other people who have just way, way more listeners and by that extent, like potential influence. Like I think that their commercial advertisers who probably pay a hell of a lot more than Away and Audible and all these other companies. Like once you start getting like the Coca-Colas of the world um advertising on on podcasts, like they they might want more metrics than just doing blanket brand advertising. But I I don't think, I mean, I guess we don't know for sure, but I don't think even someone like Bill Simmons on, on his podcast network, he's not charging like 
advertisers by the download or anything like that. But I think the overall download numbers speak to the potential audience they're reaching, but because they don't have numbers on how many people actually listen or how far into an episode they get or whether or not the ads were skipped over, I think that data probably does limit the amount that they can charge. Well, I mean, yeah, sure. But I mean, Bill Simmons gave that it pretty interesting interview a month or two ago and, and one of, with Vanity Fair or someone. And one of the things he highlighted was that, you know, the ringer is, is already profitable. It already pays for itself and they really haven't had to take any venture funding. And, and that's solely because, or basically solely because of, of the podcast advertising that they get. So I think, I mean, I, I agree with you that Relay FM is probably not huge in the grand scheme of things, but I, I would imagine like the ringer is, and they have a staff of, forget how many people they're up to now but it's a pretty sizable group and they're i mean they're able to fund themselves the way that that podcast advertising works today so yeah yeah i don't know i mean but but there there could always be more money to be made right no and that's 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 a fair point yeah and with like a deal maker in the white house i think everybody's all about their money the the art of the deal Mm -hmm. you see the thing earlier today where he's like uh I listened to the Chinese president for 10 minutes and I realized the whole thing's more complicated than I thought. Uh, yeah, that was only the um, the second most infuriating thing he said today, with the first being when he referred to um, the action that took place in Afghanistan when he was talking about it. He referred to it as my military. Ow. Yeah. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Hit the microphone. Yeah, um, no, it, it, that was hit the microphone worthy. This... Uh, <clears throat> Yep. I, sorry, I, I I don't need more credit cards canceled. I, I need to not get on more lists. <laughs> um, God damn it. On the plus side, we haven't heard from Kellyanne Conway in like a month. Thank God. Um, Although Spicer has uh, rapidly been uh, taking her place. I'm not even going there. No, that, there's, <clears throat> there's nothing nothing worth getting into there. Okay. Um, speaking of Apple, quick aside, uh, Google Maps is the best. Apple Maps is the worst. This is a little bit of follow-up slash holdover from, uh, an episode ago and also this week. And apparently they're doing something new where they, um, like whenever like a big event is happening that you might be interested in. And that also leads to like road closures and stuff. It highlights those on the map and tells you when it's going to end, which is absolutely brilliant. And that just, I don't know, it's like Google Maps just always has new perfect features that debut all the time and apple maps is still this weird thing that is there only because it's the only thing that works with carplay and siri i don't know um what is what what was the other thing about google maps have you seen the feature or do you use the one where it tells you um how busy a place is i've seen it and i've in a very informal way sort of thought about it but I, i've never like actively used it to determine whether i was going to go somewhere at a particular time or not like it's pretty great like i, I use it because uh, i like that it shows you how busy something is comparatively to when it normally is so like a place i know that i've gone in the past where like something like oh this place is normally like a 20 minute like if 
I'll, I'll use the example for the place that's most important to me. So like if I look at Blue Barn and, and it says like, <laughs> it, this place is less busy than usual, then hell yes, I'm going because it's not going to be the 25 minute wait for my sandwich. Yeah. Well, although, although less busy at Blue Barn still probably means a 15 to 20 minute wait. Let's be real. Yeah. Well, I don't know. The Marin, the Marin one's not too bad. It's just, if you go like during lunch hour, um, it, it, it can get a little bad, but, um, yeah, but, but like, it's pretty good. And there's just all these little features that, that Google Maps does that are just so perfect. And I, I know Apple won't do this, but I like, I just wish that they would get around to the point where they would let you change the defaults on iOS. And this is another reason why I think OS 10 or like traditional computers in a lot of ways are better. Just because like, if you use any alternative apps on iOS, like tough nuggies, you, you can use them, but you can't actually use them. Because if you want to do anything with Siri or anything where like the system takes over, it's going to use whatever's built in. And in a lot of cases, that means using Apple Maps, and then you just have to to sigh and, and suck it up. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. But that, that, that's all. Yeah, I don't. I don't know when that that particular feature that you initially brought up around showing uh, road closures for events happened, but I noticed it for the first time at an event a couple of weeks ago. I was actually just Google searching a little bit while we've been talking and there hasn't been any like recent stories about it. So I think it might just be a feature that's been there for a while, but because of just how awesome Google maps is in general, maybe that didn't even float to the top as being noteworthy. Sure. Um, so I, we will tell people that, so better call Saul is back. But um, I have failed to watch it. So, and I think oh, you haven't well. watched it either. Okay, I feel, whew, I feel, I feel better. So last night I took the Ryan approach, which is which is the old man approach, which is we probably forgot what happened last season. And it turns out, yes, I did. I remember the part where he, and again, it, it came out nine months ago. Spoiler alert. Um, where he hit his head and he was in the hospital and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I fell asleep watch, watching the season finale just because I'm an old person. So I haven't actually watched this season. So next week we will discuss the season premiere of the third season of Better Call Saul. So that's that's your homework for this week, folks. Yeah. So I so I often can't remember. Speaking of not being able to remember things, um, have do do not remember what we've talked about on air versus off air. But this I know for sure we've talked about on air, which is I have a, a standard standard practice I go through where whenever a new season of a TV series starts, and I've been doing this for as long as I can remember, I go back and watch the previous two. I find that two is kind of the right number usually. The previous two episodes of uh, the last season. That way I, I, I just I hit the ground running with that new season. That's a pretty sound strategy. It requires that you be very deliberate in the media that you consume, but that's probably not a bad strategy. Yeah, and usually I'm a little more prepared where I'll know something is coming back and I'll, you know, go back and watch that previous season in the week or two leading up to it. But this this Better Call Saul thing just totally snuck up on me. I knew it was coming back in April, but I guess I just didn't realize April was here. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so here we are. Yeah. Yeah, so that's an AMC show. Like what's what's one of your favorite Netflix shows? You know, I really I I haven't really been super into netflix recently like I, I tried watching that series of unfortunate events um netflix adaptation and, and it was it was fine but just didn't really hook me um 
I'm still a huge House of Cards fan, so I'm I'm looking forward to that coming back. But I mean that that hasn't been out for a while, and I th- but it's actually I think coming back, I think like in the next month, right? Something like that. It's at April or May, I think it's coming back. Maybe okay. You you kind of saved the transition I was trying to do. Oh, sorry. So let's <laughs> let's talk about um. So no, so you you brought up a thing earlier this week that um. A bit like of how much Netflix and Amazon are sh- uh, spending. Oh, yeah, sorry. I, 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 yeah. Well, I, we can't we can't have the show come across as being too prepared. And you know, it would it wouldn't be a true episode without me on any one particular point I want to make talking way too much. It's, it's, case, it's case, fine. case in point. That's fine. I I it, since we're already this is already botched. It's okay. <laughs> um, I don't think I'm ever going to watch House of Cards again, man. Again, uh, we've we talked about this in the past, but I've I've given three attempts to watch season three. I don't care. I'll accept that this first season and a half are great. Good show, like a good fourteen episodes, and I'm I'm good. So it's not it's not to the degree of Lost, but it's it's a similar concept where. So I stuck with Lost from beginning to end, watched every single episode when it came on live. But that show, completely hard to make a case otherwise, gradually declined. And I, I think that the same things happened with House of Cards. Like Even as someone who's continued to watch it, it I recognize that the earlier seasons were better than the most recent ones. So it's a sh- just like Lost, it's a show that I continue to watch, but I'm in no way going to fault or try to convince otherwise people who decide to give it up. Well, so on that note, what 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 TV show do you think you thought like had the most promise, or you either liked enough or were excited about, and went downhill the fastest? Um, Weeds was kind of like that for me. That one you got three good seasons out of. Like once they moved out of a grist yeah, stick or whatever they, it was, they were, it, they it, were it was short bad. seasons though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that that show sort of fell off for me. Although, yeah, you're right. I guess it was two or three seasons. Um, I don't know. I kind of with TV, I sort of, I sort of feel like I only start watching things I have a pretty good idea I'm going to enjoy. Like I, I'm usually not the first to find a new TV show. I kind of just hop on the bandwagon for with with whatever sort of popular. So I guess there haven't been a lot of a lot of clunkers that well. Actually, maybe maybe an example did just come to mind. the The second season of True Detective was like that, where it was like two episodes in, and was like, "Oh no, this is this is not good at all." Okay, all right. I'm glad that I don't have to watch either season of that. Then, thank you. No, the first the first season you absolutely should watch. It's great. No, no, I'm good. Although you, I don't know, you may not like it. Yeah, probably not. What about like? Wasn't that Heroes show supposed to be? Great, and then uh, it went was horrible it was, real fast. It was fine, I, 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 similar to Weeds, I guess. I probably got three or so seasons out of that. That's that's most the most. Wait, of the did, it, did it I'm last thinking. that long? Oh God, it was yeah, it was on for a long time. No, hold on, Ep Guides Heroes. It, well, but it was also weird because it was impacted by the writer strike, so it. Oh, it did last four seasons. Jeez. Yeah. Um. Mm. Which, by the way, have you heard this? So there's like a potentially another writer strike coming. I guess like whatever agreement was struck at the end of the last one is is expiring like imminently, so we might be facing the same thing again. Who knows? Maybe Netflix has they have the ace up their sleeve. 
and they're uh they they made sure nobody can join a guild or something <laughs> who knows maybe that's their secret weapon maybe maybe all their writers are uh sharing economy employees oh <laughs> uh, anyway so so back to what you were trying to, to pivot to is i actually do think this is a pretty interesting thing to talk a little bit about um so this is a uh, an article on statista is that how we're going to pronounce that sure the, the statistics portal is the, the subtitle here. And there's a little bit of commentary, but it's mostly about the graph that's shown here, which is um, graphing out the amount of money that Netflix and Amazon have spent on both original and licensed content on their respective services. And this goes back from back to 2013 and then just kind of shows every other year through 2017. And I don't know what I think is just super interesting and worth talking to you a little bit about here is without seeing this graph and just maybe someone asking me just the random question of, you know, how much more do you think Netflix spends on content than Amazon? I would think it would be, I don't know, a factor of four or five at least, but it's, but it's not in, in, in 2017, this graph is estimating that Netflix is going to spend $6 billion on, again, original and licensed content. And Amazon's going to spend $4.5 billion, which is, which is relatively close. Or, or another way to think about it, and I think this was Gruber who, um, hit, this was his take on it, which is Netflix spent $4.9 billion in 2015. So effectively... Amazon is spending as much on content as as Netflix did two years ago, so they're basically you know two years behind Netflix, which is a whole lot closer than I would have thought they were. So I think it's it's probably like we just have a skewed perspective just because we're probably more Apple centric people, like because I don't know if it's Apple or Amazon or who has the problem where there's no Amazon app on Apple TV. But yeah, I mean, apparently, like, I mean, I know Amazon has some high-profile TV shows. Like, I know they have that Grand Tour show that has, like, the the Top Gear guys on it. There was that Man in the High Castle show that was advertised everywhere and I think got some pretty good, like, critical acclaim and that kind of stuff. But it just, I don't know, like, just buzz-wise in terms of, like, and just from what you hear from people, like, it sounds like Netflix content is a lot more widely viewed. I don't know. Yeah, I think the the way that you phrased it there about our perspective being skewed is exactly right. Where it's not even so much that it, it's it's an Apple centric view because I actually still just watch a majority of my content just on traditional cable, just through uh, Comcast. I think more of it's just you know, I just don't I just don't use I just don't think of Amazon as being a place to go to for content. And I, I brought up this example. Uh, a show or two ago where um you know the lady friend was listening to some music and i, I asked her like oh like you know where where are you listening to that because i knew it was it was it was on demand because it was a specific album she was listening to hamilton actually which was the pick of the week last week and you know she said amazon and i just like huh yeah like i just totally don't even think about using you know amazon for for on-demand music like that so, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe this is just sort of completely 
just flown under my radar and just you know hasn't hasn't been something i've been keeping up with and i don't know that this this graph kind of made me think like huh maybe i maybe i should think more about amazon when i'm looking for the next thing to watch do you think anything that amazon does suffers from being under the prime umbrella like cuz they they have like amazon photos and amazon music and all these different like media products that they have that are supposed like i mean probably legitimately good things but i have honestly never i think probably never used amazon music and all of these things are probably a good value in our in our bundled in with your prime subscription but like i just think of amazon as being the place where i buy stuff and it comes in 2 days unless the usps has something to say about it so i don't know like do they need to brand this differently i i don't there has to be a way to change this. I, I don't know. I I think I think the the idea that your prime membership is continuing just to get more valuable and continues to include more things is a, is a pretty powerful and effective message. So I I think they're they're probably pretty smart to do that. Hmm. Do you think they need to work out their beef or whatever with Apple? I I don't know. I mean, it sure it sure seems like they if they can spend four and a half billion dollars on content and justify that, especially as the company clearly in the last year or so has shifted more of a focus on profitability. It seems like they're doing just fine. I don't know. Maybe we're the dummies that are buying Apple TVs. Like, because doesn't probably maybe, yeah maybe the, the Chromecast probably has to outsell the Apple TV like twenty to one, right? I I think also like the the Fire TV stick probably does too. Oh yeah, because they were they were giving those away like refurbished for like thirty bucks. Yeah, so probably. Well, I, and I you know yeah that, but I I I haven't personally used one, but it it just seems like casual you know anecdotes from friends and just reading reviews and things. It, it seems like both the Chromecast and the Fire TV stick are both like legitimately good products. Like don't don't a lot of people say that like the the Fire TV stick has a better, faster interface than the Apple TV does. Isn't that sort of the general consensus? I, I don't not, know. Not, I, that, not that that's an incredibly high bar to clear, but yeah, I don't know because because I, I I used a Fire TV stick once and I hated it. Um, but now I I haven't heard a lot about it. I know I guess I run in predominantly Apple centric circles. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I don't know. This uh, it's, it's gonna be a weird couple of years. Um, because didn't like uh Netflix and HBO like weren't they the two leaders in terms of like oh, like critical awards and stuff for like the content made last year? They they certainly had a much larger presence than they've ever had before. Yeah, I don't know. My TV is having this whole renaissance thing, so I'm I'm sure it's I'm sure they'll all do just fine. Yeah, and then on that note, like slightly related, uh, there's more cord cutting news, and it looks like Comcast is gonna eventually come out with uh, a new revised skinny bundle like they've had their comcast um or their xfinity stream product that has been in a few markets and it looks like verizon and a couple others might um, be doing that and there's youtube tv that's very similar to direct tv now so it looks like everybody's trying to get in on trying to make sure that people are paying for some type of subscription video bundle so i don't know it's gonna be it's a weird couple of years for for pay media i i think though it's just i don't know i have a really hard time getting excited about something like this when comcast 
not only do they own the actual network that that you know that that internet based content is coming through but they own the content too so they 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 own everything they still own everything so why i don't know why why do people think that this you know cord cutting package is going to be any better than what they like what what what's in it for comcast to undercut their existing business it's it's not at all like this is some third party coming in disrupting what they're doing i i think it's probably more of a protection move like i think i and i I was one who didn't want to admit it for a very long time but i think cord cutting probably is actually a thing that's happening and i think consumer preferences in the way that people use and consume media like it, it is shifting more to like ipads and computers and that kind of stuff where because people are like more mobile that's it it's not cable television in their homes anymore. So I think a lot of people, when they're signing up for what used to be home phone, a video subscription through cable and internet is now becoming just internet. And I think that Comcast doesn't want to be left behind and they want to have some type of offering for the people who don't see value in traditional subscription video products. So, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I think it is probably fairly smart. I don't think it's a cost savings type of thing, but I think it's making sure they're one of the options for somebody who doesn't want the, who's rejecting kind of the traditional way to get media. No, I, th- I think that's all totally right. I, my point is just, I just don't know how interesting or compelling that's going to be. Like, I, 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 don't, I don't either. I mean, it, but I think, again, that goes back to the to the Amazon thing, where it's like, wh- who owns and, and where does the content come from? Because sure, uh, Comcast owns NBC and, and Universal and uh, DreamWorks and all that kind of stuff. But if all the content that somebody wants to watch is coming through Netflix and that's the studio that they, they get it from, then, I mean, that the cable TV subscription becomes far less interesting. And also any type of video on demand or over the top service they offer isn't that compelling either. So I think they want to not be left out entirely. Well, it's a good thing we have uh, and continue to have really strong net neutrality rules to regulate all this. Oh, oh wait, what, sorry, what? We're we're getting rid of those. Hmm? Uh. I'm going to give that an eight out of ten. That's okay, okay. pretty good. Thanks. <laughs> no, that, that, good the, good job. The the jokes uh, the jokes keep back the tears. Yeah. What's his name? Ajit Pai, I think. That's another one of those names that I don't think I've ever attempted to say out loud. I've read it a thousand times, but... Okay. No, I just had to make sure it was the guy. No, Ajit Pai. He's um, the new chairman of the FCC, the FCC, and I'm already going to get myself off track. Do you remember like two years ago when everybody hated Tom Wheeler, the previous FCC chairman, thinking he wasn't strong enough on any of the like the consumer-facing issues and like he wasn't a big enough champion of... Um, of net neutrality because he used to work for like Comcast or something. Yeah, he he his his view towards net neutrality sort of evolved over time. Yeah, I think everybody probably wants him back, right? Oh, I think one hundred percent. Yes. <sighs> um, but yeah. Anyway, so this this guy, I forget where he actually worked or what is what his whole deal is, but he only has one good opinion, <laughs> and which is that he doesn't want phone calls on airplanes. But other than that, he hates net neutrality. He hates consumer privacy. He is finding a way to undermine any potential progress that's been made to um, help consumers. So that's pretty great. 
And then when we couple that with um, elected legislators who um, openly accept money from uh, internet and communications companies and all that kind of stuff and have very little uh, technological literacy, uh, things aren't looking too great for uh, <laughs> consumer interest in terms of regulation from the FCC. So. <sighs> Yeah. I think as, as as one senator put it, uh, we can't have pornography uh, uh, taking up the room that MRIs need on the internet. Oh, my God. Like, I, I just, I don't know. This goes back to the whole thing, like, of, like, where video is required for anything to be interesting to people. But, like, there's got to be a way to make people care about, like, the the rampant anti-intellectualism and and complete lack of knowledge and or interest to learn about the issues that people are voted to to uphold or the interests of the of the people to to support it and and for us it's it's the 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 technology side of it is is particularly egregious not not the most important in, in most cases or in many cases but nonetheless infuriating yeah. Uh, to round this out, do you want to talk about Project Scorpio or Scorpion? I forgot which one it was. <laughs> Scorpio. Oh, okay. There's an extra N in here. Okay. Yeah. Cool. What What is that? Sure. Um, is that a Wii U? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the Wii. The Wii U two. It's the new code name for the new Zelda game. That's right. Uh huh. So, you know this this console generation has really become super interesting. You know we we entered it thinking that this could be the last one and that it might just be a complete dud right off the bat, but it's proven to be the most popular, you know, units have sold at a faster rate than any other previous console cycle. And it now has evolved into being sort of the most interesting where consoles have historically been these static boxes that come out. They last anywhere from three to 10 years you know, generally the manufacturers will come out with smaller versions or like different colors, but by and large, the actual hardware itself and the, the performance specifically around that hardware stays the same throughout the entire life of the console. And that's been completely turned on its head this time around where Sony has come out with the PlayStation Pro, which is essentially a sort of, I guess, PlayStation 4.5, if you want to think about it that way. It, it's a PlayStation 4 with with better specs, um, you know, upgraded in much the way that someone would upgrade a, a gaming PC. And so Project Scorpio is Microsoft's response to that, uh, where this is essentially going to be, you know, the Xbox, well, this gets weird with its name, but the Xbox like 1.5 <laughs> Uh, where it's going to be a a faster, more capable version of um, of Sony's product. Um, so you know, no no need to get into the nuts the the nuts and bolts. You know, it's a faster processor, faster graphics card, more RAM, all the things that you know you'd you'd sort of be able just to probably guess on your own without knowing much about this thing. But the the thing that's going to be interesting about Scorpio is a lot of what the PlayStation 4 Pro promised was this idea of 4K gaming. Because even today for really high-end, powerful, 
and expensive PCs, you know, PCs that cost three times the amount that boxes like this, like like the Xbox and, and PlayStation 4 cost, can't do 4K at a at a reasonable frame rate. And so the PlayStation 4 Pro sort of came in and 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 kind of half-assed the 4K thing where some games sort of run in 4K, but most just get upscaled to 4K. Some games that run in 4K don't run very well. At the end of the day, it really didn't, it just didn't really meet the promise of being able to to play games natively in 4K. And that's sort of what the but Microsoft's promising with the with Project Scorpio is this is going to be a significantly more powerful box than the PS4 Pro. And they're, you know, they're sticking to their guns this week with announcing its specs that this thing is going to be able to play um, at least a lot of games uh, natively in 4K. Which is interesting just from a technical perspective, but it's also interesting, I think, from a strategic perspective, because it's it's really making a gamble that people care about 4k or at least the people who are going to buy xboxes care about 4k and i don't know i I mean i think we're we're kind of starting to get there with the price of 4k tvs coming down dramatically almost to the point where you almost have to go out of your way to buy a non 4k tv now content is slowly coming around like we i think maybe one of the big symbolic things that's happened in in the last month is planet earth 2 has now come out and if you'll remember the original planet earth was sort of the go-to demo for anybody who wanted to show people 1080p content back in the day like a you know specifically around like blu-ray sure sure um that planet earth 2 now maybe is sort of the same thing for 4k or, or uhd as a lot of the a lot of the manufacturers like to call it, but I I don't know. I, I I just I don't know if I don't know if that's the right strategy or not. Like I, th- I think it gets maybe maybe this is where I we can pivot it more towards the side of the conversation. I think you might have an opinion on too, which is it kind of gets back to the idea of what do people care more about, hardware or software. Because that's that's kind of been Microsoft's problem this generation is they just haven't really had the most compelling software, and it, it's been compounded by their really confusing and weird messaging around the original announcement of the Xbox One with the whole DRM thing and all that. Um, but at the end of the day, it's it's been sort of software, I think that that's that's been the issue, and I you know even just now in the last couple of months with the Nintendo Switch totally a platform that's not in any way trying to be the most powerful but is super super compelling and is selling like crazy so i don't know the the, the whole this whole thing seems like a a pretty big gamble that i'm not positive is going to work out for microsoft so yeah like several things here so i i don't think anybody would care i mean are there any proof of concept like i mean well, I guess first, do you think 1080p gaming is lacking that much detail? Like when you're playing a game, because you're you're a gamer, do you ever feel like uh, this, this, because that's the thing, like where, because I've seen 4K video demos versus 1080p video, and like, and that's, it's not the same thing where you go from standard dev TV to high dev TV, like sure, it's better, but at what? Well, that's, you, that, that's it right there. 
it's it's kind of it's kind of weird because I mean this generation of consoles has done just fine. So I guess I guess I guess what I'm about to say hasn't really deterred people or at least most people from buying these things, but I feel like one of the narratives you at least hear about is that's one of the issues with this generation of consoles is there wasn't that big leap from standard def to high def like there was with the last round of these things. So these consoles are still kind of trying to search for that that next big visual thing. But but again, it goes back to whether that's really all that important or not. Because I'm sure this will be a thing in future generations and at, at some point. But I mean, doesn't that mean that the the assets and the stuff that people are creating that make the game have to be so much higher resolution and have to be like? I don't, it just seems like that's a lot harder and that stresses like the hardware and like in for something that like it doesn't compensate for maybe what might be an unoriginal game. Because I mean, like even before the Nintendo Switch, which seems to be getting some level of success because it has one good game on it, uh, one good first-party title, like the original Wii was in a generation of high-definition video game consoles. Like it was a 480p console that had like a novelty or like gimmicky. Um, like interface and that kind of stuff, but it, it sold a lot just because that that was its claim to fame, and people didn't care that much about video quality. I mean, sure, the hardcore gamers might, but I just I I, I don't I don't know I don't think a lot of people really give that much of a hoot about video that's slightly better if you sit really up close, because I assume the frame rate has to probably drop when you're doing 4K video, and that seems like that's probably that's probably way more perceptible. Yeah, I mean that that's. Like I alluded to, that that's been the issue with the PS4 Pro is performance at 4K for a lot of that software just isn't really that great. So, yeah, I I don't know. It it's um it, it it's an it's an interesting strategy, but but we'll we'll see where it goes for Microsoft. Yeah. And lastly, before picks of the week, I'll, I'll get one topic in. That's my my pet project is uh, IKEA <laughs> has created its own uh, smart light system. So does this does this mean you're throwing out all your Philips Hue bulbs and, and replacing it with um, what well, is the 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 IKEA things a about a Zigbee based system, right? Well, so I think that might actually be the same one of the same systems that Hue is based on. So I think it might actually be slightly compatible. But I don't. I don't think it is. Isn't it sort of like <laughs> this is a kind of funny analogy? But I think it works. It, like, isn't this sort of like what Samsung's done with Android? Where like, sure, Samsung's hardware is based on Android, but it at this point may as well be its own thing. Like, isn't it? Didn't doesn't Philips sort of implement the Zigbee thing in such a way that it's sort of unrecognizable and 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 mostly incompatible with other Zigbee devices? I don't think so because I know back in the old days when I was being super cheap about my smart light system, you could buy bulbs that were called Wink that would also work with a Philips Hue bridge. So I think it actually kind of does. Hmm. So I'm not sure though. I mean, like, like the, the but yeah, the IKEA thing is weird just because, like, I don't know if this brings it to a broader audience or if this just confuses things because, like, their product is called uh, Trod Free, and it is. <laughs> Of course, sorry, there's yeah. there's a little circle. There's a circle over the A, and I don't know what that means. It's it's probably um, not in any way pronounced that way, but 
Yeah, but I, I give you I give you credit for trying. Sure. T R A D F R I. Um, because like the uh, like in terms of like their pricing, like the like I guess what would be their dimmer switch? It costs thirteen dollars. The bridge, or as they call it, the gateway, is thirty dollars. The bulbs are a little bit cheaper too. So I mean, I don't know if this brings it to a to a larger audience or not. I th- I think so. I mean, right? It, 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 to me, it seems like the adoption of smart home technology probably is still really really low. So there's a pretty big untapped market, I would guess, and but maybe the, but how does this not end up just like the the Upleva smart TV that they had that that went away? Because like I was at IKEA today having to buy some like some shoe trees and a few other things. <laughs> of course you were. Um, I was getting stuff done. What was um, was was this in your uh, in your OmniFocus? No, my my OmniFocus still has sixteen uh, oh, undone oh, items. Oh my god, it's. I'm, I'm, you have podcast deficit. I'm okay on my podcast. I'm, I'm at my life. So, <laughs> uh, it's, it's fine. Um, but no, I was there and, uh, like nobody was near these things. Um, whereas like there were plenty of people looking at their, um, the, like uh, the traditional like lights and stuff, but like nobody, nobody was looking at this. And I just don't know if that's the place to do it. Like, because like the technology demo and this kind of stuff, like I know, like I've, I've, because I've just moved, like I've been at many places, um, that somebody who just moved would shop in like Bed Bath and Beyond and Home Depot and like all these places do have like fairly interactive, like, um, connected light and like Alexa and Hue, like, like all these things, like there are pretty sizable demo stations to, to explain what this not necessarily easy to understand concept is to people, but. I don't know. I just don't know if IKEA has like the attention span or dedication to really, because like this feels like it's going to be abandoned wear. If that's still a term people use. I mean, maybe. I mean, it it could, but I don't know. It seems like it seems like IKEA has a, a huge opportunity to introduce people to this type of tech. And I don't know. Maybe their audience isn't the right one for it, but it seems like. Like if you just had to make up a list of places to have this type, these types of products to try to expand the reach of of smart home technology, like IKEA would be pretty high up that list. Maybe I don't know. I just low confidence in trot free. <laughs> anyway, that's about it. Picks of the week. Let's do it. Okay. So I have a kind of ultra specific one this week. So I don't know if you noticed this, but there were a uh, round of software updates for OmniFocus, both on iOS and for macOS this week. Did you did you mm-hmm. notice, notice that? Yeah, where they changed out the way attachments work. Yeah, that's right. That was the big headlining feature, um, but also kind of buried, sort of in the in the the release notes, was a new syncing system. This was all just sort of on on the back end. But if you so if you use the the Omni server sync system, I don't do they have a name a more catchy name for it than that? Nope, just Omni Sync Server. Okay, there you go. Um, they they've made a, a significant backend update to that where syncing happens much more quickly and is just in generally more um, reliable than it used to be. So the way this works is you've got you've got to get your iOS 
all your iOS devices up to OmniFocus uh, 2.19, and you got to get your uh, Mac OS software up to version 2.9. And once you've done that, the next time you use OmniFocus on any of your devices, you'll automatically be prompt to migrate your database over to this new version of the Sync server. And so I did that a couple of days ago, and sure enough, you know, I used to, especially on iOS, have this thing where it sort of seemed like the kind of the syncing wasn't really happening until I actually opened the app. But now, it maybe that's still happening, but it's just happening so quickly I don't even notice it. But it feels like when I open OmniFocus on iOS now that everything's already been synced and it's just ready to go. And, you know, when you're using OmniFocus... As often as I do, because as I mentioned, you know, a few weeks ago, like I've, I've really kind of, as you would say, have doubled down on the whole OmniFocus thing and the kind of getting things done strategy of, you know, tackling tasks. Um, I've been using it a lot. And so this this improvement with the way that the data stays synced between all the different instances of OmniFocus I have going has been really appreciated. Well, good to know. I didn't know that was... Uh that uh extensive i'm unsure as to why i haven't been prompted but that's yeah i'll have to look into that so you found that it no longer has that push lag that that's so, so that that's what i've been seeing although you know one of the things that i'm still completely confounded by is the way that background refreshing works in ios because clearly there's a component of Apps that you don't use all that regularly get de you know get deprioritized and don't get refreshes often. So because I'm using OmniFocus a lot more regularly, that might also be part of it too. But it it does seem that specifically since this update came out this week, that that syncing process has has been happening in the background more often and is just ready to go as soon as I open the app on iOS. Um. And it may be a little little pro tip if you still haven't been prompted. You you the way that you can actually check if all of your devices are on the necessary software version to make this happen. Because again, I I don't think you'll get this prompt until all of your um, they call it registered devices have been updated. So if you go into the the settings page on your um, iOS device that's running OmniFocus, and you go down to uh, registered devices, you can see not only what all of your registered devices are, but what version of OmniFocus they're running. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I'm looking. I'm looking inside OS 10, which is not what you told me to do, but <laughs> that, that doesn't tell me. Okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll figure it out. But hopefully, hopefully, it's better. I don't know because I because I use it fairly regularly. I haven't found too much of a sync delay, but. Yeah, but then again, I haven't been attending to my tasks as much. So. <laughs> You're better than me, so it's okay. Oh, that's. I wonder what true. Donald Trump's uh, OmniFocus looks like. Oh, there is no chance in hell he uses OmniFocus. Yeah, they don't make it for Android, do they? <laughs> All right, my pick of the week is uh, something I, I I don't think I've recommended before on here, but it's something I've been subscribed to for a couple of years now. It's it's a daily newsletter called Next Draft. So earlier this week when I sent you the um, that summary uh, that kind of encapsulated what the whole United Airlines thing was about, that was from Next Draft. 
So it's this one guy, uh, Dave Pell, who writes uh, this, and it's really, really funny, informative, and adds a lot of like depth and context to like the news of the day. And it's not just like a mix; it's it's a good mix of politics, regular news, and technology stuff. Um, so I would strongly recommend that anybody who maybe wants like a, a midday digest of what's going on to to give it a try. It, it's once daily. He doesn't take that many vacations, and it's 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 super interesting. So yeah, nextdraft.com is and it's it's very good. Huh. Yeah, I have have not heard of this. And is what's what's the business model here? Is this do you pay for this? No, he just has uh he has sponsors. Um it's usually um actually who was it today? Uh Salesforce. Huh, okay. And does he does he write the content or is he is he parsing things? Will I have... So I think on t- on Tuesday or recently, I forwarded you one of them. So he uh, he will find a couple of he generally has like nine to ten stories, and um, will like summarize and kind of provide context and some background on what the story is about, and then provide some relevant links uh, to the best um, writing on that subject. Huh. Well, I have just subscribed. All right. Well, thanks for making it through another episode with us, folks. Enjoy your 4K games.